2: We are back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but tonight is going to be a really fun show. I think uh, people are really going to dig it. I'm joined by Genevieve. Genevieve, how you doing? I'm
0: doing quite alright. Doing all right? Doing Thank all right. You very much. Did you yeah.
2: survive uh, Halloween and all the madness that, that was going on this weekend?
0: Nope. Definitely no. not. You're I here am, in spirit. I am here in spirit, but yep. don't worry. I'm still in the chat.
2: <laughs> That's one thing. You're haunting the chat. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a lot of cool stuff happened this weekend. Obviously, we were covering the uh, uh, kamikaze, the Stanley kamikaze convention here in yep. la we also went to a paranormal investigation hosted by haunted orange on friday night mm-hmm. obviously saturday was a big halloween day and that was a really busy day it was a lot of fun and then today we want to send a special birthday shout out to a good friend of ours good friend of the show mr chad limberg happy mm. birthday to you happy sir happy birthday have a supernatural fast and furious badass um birthday
0: supernatural yeah.
2: boy it, did you see that they set up a little quiz with his oh, face from really different difficult. movies, and let me tell I you, I didn't
0: even know he'd been in those movies. I, exactly, there were I there am. were
2: movies here that y- you were in this one too. It's
0: like <laughs> not that I wouldn't expect it. I just had no idea. I'm such a bad friend.
2: Yeah, no, but uh, no, I mean, big happy birthday to Chad. Um,
0: and tomorrow we'll be crashing and sleeping all day.
2: Uh, well, not so much because tomorrow is Dia de los Muertos. I don't. I shouldn't have put <laughs> an accent on it because I'm Hispanic. <laughs> I should have just said it. Día de los Muertos. That's tomorrow.
0: Wait, so, wait. That was without an accent. What is that's That was an oh, ultra dear. accent. Oh,
2: there. Okay. <laughs> well, I tried, folks. But uh, no, definitely a, a lot of good stuff this this weekend. And tonight, tonight, it's the, the pinnacle of my weekend, not only because I get to do this show, but because tonight we have a very, very cool guest. I think cool is the word you want to use. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right? Super cool.
2: Yeah. So, take it away. Genevieve.
0: Born in the 60s and a talk radio host for pretty much most of his life, Clyde Lewis is definitely an expert at this point in all things paranormal, parapolitical and conspiracy related. Clyde's career commenced in Utah in 82 and it was in 95 that he created Ground Zero back in Salt Lake City. And since then, he's produced Ground Zero programs online, on radio and on television. As well as that, he's appeared on a number of television programs, including Sightings. Strange Universe and the Discovery Channel special Return to the Bermuda Triangle. On top of that, he's been published in a number of magazines, including a feature in Rolling Stone, and he's even the model for characters in books such as Safe House, Supernatural Law and Alien Invasion. A big supporter of B-horror movies, comic books, mythology and sci-fi, Lewis has published his own fanzines, as well as co-written scripts for TV and radio. His credits include his appearance in Nightfall, a movie he co-wrote with Kevin DeLulo, alongside roles in Box Elder, where he played Cage, and Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger 4, providing the voice nice. of the title character.
2: That's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> and um, as of now, Lewis is working with a uh, lawyer and personal investigator, Galen Cook, on the DB Cooper case, specifically focusing on um, Wolfgang Gossett, who was actually a one-time associate of Lewis's, as well as a new suspect in this mysterious case. Wow. So, gosh, let me take a breath, but with that, we'd love to introduce Clyde Lewis
2: to Western Rockies. Yes, Clyde, can you hear us okay?
3: I should read my bio more. I forgot, I did a little <laughs> <laughs> I all those things. I do all those things in and it just piles up and piles up and piles up and get disappointed. to a point. Of, did I really do that? Yeah, I did do that. I remember that now. My <laughs> brain's all foggy. You know how that goes. That's it's impressive. Well, it's foggy, the brain.
2: You have, a, you have an impressive, impressive resume. Please tell me you are not good at cooking or something, please. Something, because, just yeah, one yeah, thing. <laughs> anything. I'm
3: a, I'm a great cook. Oh. I'm a great cook. I just regret that I didn't make anything Mexican day for gullios muertos.
2: Right. For, uh, <laughs>
3: I would love uh, but you say I have until tomorrow tomorrow we'll yes i
1: uh,
3: have some chorizo and eggs or oh. some chorizo. You know, I could have like for, we
0: haven't had uh, dinner yet don't okay. say this do you
2: think if I hop in my <laughs> car and head up north I can get there in time uh, Clyde
3: well there's still plenty of time to have you know uh, polenta or something <laughs> nice go really cheap we'll have some polenta and uh, a bunch of other stuff Maybe. Oh, but in Argentina sorry. we would have some like milanesa but I think they have, oh yeah milanesa in
2: Mexico yeah they, oh, they yeah. do do yeah, have I it? Would, yeah, they have their own their own yeah, take on it. Have,
3: oh, really? Well, yeah, they, they have the Italian style in Argentina. So I don't know what I would have. I'd have carnitas. That's what oh, I want. Carnitas. No, delicious. <laughs> I want carnitas. They both. Yeah.
2: So there you go. <laughs> oh boy, way to uh, wet my appetite here, Clyde. I know. But um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 been a busy weekend uh, for you guys up there as well because I, I heard that the uh, the ground zero store just opened this weekend. Correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. Well, uh, for longest time. Ground Zero. We, I think it's been since what 1999. Uh, we haven't really merchandised anything. Ground Zero. Uh, mm-hmm. We had uh, some wonderful artwork and some wonderful things were put together some 10 years ago for the show that we were, you know, we were marketing, but we mm-hmm. weren't uh, actively doing so because we really didn't know how to push it ourselves. Back then, it was just a small staff of me and maybe. One or two other people. I did have somebody who was remarkable working for me named Mimi Cruz, and she was always out there mm-hmm. uh, doing things for me. She was out, actually, she ran our comic book store there in Salt Lake City. So we really didn't nice. do any, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it, real marketing of anything. And so Ron Patton, my producer, who is also the publisher of uh, Steam Shovel Press and uh, Paranoia Magazine,
1: yeah, yeah.
3: being my producer, he's, he's very much into marketing and merchandising. And so we were able to get a hold of, uh, a, a sports merchandiser who uh, had a, a, a little bit of a, you know, he, he felt like that he wanted to help Ground Zero out by getting us some uh, amazing uh, stuff mm-hmm. uh, that we use for merchandise. And of course, Matt Haley, uh, the man who brought us Superman, uh, the guy who draws a Superman nice. comic, mm-hmm. um, is the man who designed the Ground Zero logo way back when. And it was when I was looking for investors
1: oh, uh, wow. for
3: my podcast. And uh, he showed up at one of my investor meetings and he said, I'm a big fan of grounds so here. I said, my name's Matt Haley. And I said, oh, hello, Matt. How are you? And he says, That's yeah, pretty I'm, cool. a,
1: I'm,
3: a, I'm a comic book uh, designer. Uh, and he you know, he did a comic book that I was reading. I had no idea. called G.I. Spy, which I really enjoyed. It was about Nazi uh, flying saucers. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And uh, also he, he helped design some of the, um, I guess you could call the the panels for uh, Captain America with a Red Skull, and oh, wow. so it was really kind of a fun thing. And he created the Ground Zero logo. And I said, "Well, my, what do I owe you for?" And he says, "Nothing." He says, "You can use it for the rest of your life." Oh wow! And, and I thought That's to amazing. myself, "You know, there it was sitting, collecting dust, uh, not getting merchandise." Mm-hmm. And so we uh, took the artwork and put it on t-shirts, mugs, and all kinds of things, in hopes that uh, people out there on Ground Zero merchandise will want to purchase it, like a t-shirt or something. Because yeah. a lot of people have been telling yeah. me that they're really, um, you know, they're really excited for and they want to see some merchandising. So we're, we're going to start merchandising some of the show and see if people really want to have, you know, a you mm-hmm. know, Ground Zero hoodie or a Ground Zero t-shirt or a Ground Zero whatever, a mug, I don't know.
1: Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, yeah that's really it, cool. it, it's really cool.
3: It's fantastic. I'm excited about it. I really am. We had a good turnout for the store. We're going to be putting it online pretty soon, so that way people, we're not locally from Portland or the Northwest, we have people coming all the way from Washington State and Wow. And so it was really amazing.
2: That uh, is really the, cool.
3: Uh, all big Simon. Yeah, it was great.
2: That sounds uh, amazing. And I must say that the that the logo definitely, I think, shows the, uh, the type of show that you do. And actually, I wanted to talk to you about that. You've had a, a great career, and you've done some really amazing things. How did you get started on tackling this subject matter, you know, these conspiracies and the paranormal and such?
3: Well, I was raised uh, in a family that... Uh, well, my father was more or less a conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, You know, he would talk about the latest conspiracy theories. And then I hooked up with another gentleman who got me my start in radio, really. His name was Steve Stay, who was in the conspiracy theories. And then I met Wolfgang Gossett, who uh, was a priest uh, in mm-hmm. the old Antioch faith. And he he had a show similar to Ground Zeroes uh, a long time ago, and uh, he introduced me to people. Well, he didn't introduce me, really, to people, except for I, I did meet... Uh, Bill Cooper, William Cooper.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, just a number of people that were into this kind of stuff, and they talk about this kind of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, sucking it all in, and, and uh, and then, uh, Wolfgang, of course, was the most, gave me the most, uh, information. He was mm-hmm. the most impressionable, and that's why it's interesting to note that he actually is the man that people are looking into, maybe being D.B. Cooper. Um, and yeah. that to me is, you know, amazing. I mean, I, when I found that out, I was just so overwhelmed. I, I was bet. Crazy. If there was any guy, it would be D.B. Cooper, it would be Wolfgang Gossett. And I, and I, uh, to this day, I'm so proud that I knew him. And I'm so proud mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we worked together on some projects. And of course, then he, being as elusive as mm-hmm. he was, come to find out, he moved to Depot Bay, Oregon, right after I moved to Portland. And, uh, he was out in Depot Bay, which is far away from Portland but still. Mm-hmm. And then of course, found out I was like, maybe... 20 minutes away from the drop site where D.B. Cooper landed. In oh, the Northwest. wow. So I'm just thinking, I got thrust into the D.B. Cooper investigation type stuff. Oh. Because you know, D.B. Cooper really wasn't that big of a deal for me in Salt Lake City. But moving mm-hmm. to the Northwest, I mean, you got Bigfoot UFOs and D.B. Cooper, yeah. all three of these things up here. And, uh, you know, most people say, what about, you know, Roswell? What about, you know, well, I say, you know, take a look back about, what happened before Roswell, and you'll find Mount Rainier, you'll find Murray Island, mm-hmm. you'll even find Portland, uh, you know, a number of UFO sightings in Portland that J. Edgar Hoover had to investigate. But, you know, it, it, it's a heritage, and being up here in the Northwest, I, yeah. I find myself privileged to be in the middle of all of it. And, uh, in fact, you know, a lot of people are finding, like with the TV show Grimm, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, the Twilight mm-hmm. series was filmed here. And It's just because here it's like, uh, it's... It's kind of like uh, what's up in Al- Alaska. I mean, it's kind of like twilight, 24 hours. It
2: breakfast. seems that yeah. it has that vibe, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I always told people that, you know, I always say to people, you know, I wish that they would serve uh, breakfast 24 hours a day. I mean, no, <laughs> this is a breakfast place. It's just like every day you wake up, it's like morning. You never
1: yeah, really yeah.
3: feel like that. You know, that's why you drink a lot of coffee here. That's why you know, it's, it's a, you're in a place that it's morning, maybe 24 hours a day. You don't mm-hmm. realize until so yeah. the sun goes down. Like, what, was there a day? What, what, what happened? There was no day here. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's always welcome to have coffee. It's always welcome to have, uh, I guess you could say, chicken and waffles whenever you turn around. So it's, it's a nice it's a nice vibe. I love the Northwest.
2: It's really beautiful. Yeah, no, it's great. I've had a couple of opportunities to to travel in that direction. It's lovely. I mean, Northern California and up. It's uh, definitely you know some of my favorite places. Uh, a second ago, you were mentioning uh, William Cooper. You know, Bill Cooper. I yeah. remember that. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, that was a very mind-opening experience. I remember the first time I read his book, uh, "Behold a Pale Horse." If I remember correctly, I read it probably a month or two after uh, 9/11, in, oh, yeah. back in back yeah. in 2001. So it had uh, it kind of took on on this meaning at the time, and. Uh, you know, shortly after that same year, I believe it was in November, William Cooper died. There was a lot of controversy as to, you know, how he died. Obviously, in his book, he said, "I if I'm ever killed, and I, I'm paraphrasing uh, poorly, but it was something along the lines that yeah. if he was ever killed, to look to the Masons for, you know, the, the culprits. What did you make of that? Do you believe that there was a conspiracy to assassinate Bill Cooper? Or do you think he just no, unfortunately no, was caught up in a that situation
3: no i think bill cooper was a loud mouth drunk and uh he well i'm not saying he was drunk all the time but i'm saying that he drank a lot and he was he was very tough man very uh he was very aggressive uh he fought for what he believed in and Mm -hmm. he was an amazing man but i think that you know he mouthed off the cops and they shot him Mm -hmm. you know right um i don't think there's a conspiracy behind it Mm -hmm. at all um you know maybe in, in someone's dreams there's a conspiracy. But see that's the problem. It's always the out for people like me and people like Alex Jones and people like William Cooper. And yeah. others. They can always say, you know, when we die, if we ever die, heaven forbid, mm-hmm. that it's some sort of conspiracy. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, with my health situation, people have thought there's a conspiracy. Don't right. Me out. Maybe there is. In fact, even my doctor suggested that I was uh, experiencing these things because I was a victim of some conspiracy. Really? I mean... People will believe what, yeah. People will believe what they want, and wow. I just think that you know when I met Cooper, mm-hmm. he loved he loved beer, he loved uh, he loved life, he loved uh, he loved uh, a lot of things. He was very knowledgeable about things. He had a lot of uh, information, yeah. And I think you know what it was. It was just a case of you know, you know the way police officers sometimes can be. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you you know do something, they'll yeah. shoot, and that they you know, I don't know all the intricate details, but I remember his wife saying something about how don't think for one minute it's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something, you know, William was a very tough, uh, very vociferous individual. And I think that he went down fighting like he always does. He's a fighter. He's a, you know, he, he, he played hard. He partied hard. He was a good man. And, uh, you know, he, he drank a lot and he played a lot. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was a very, but don't, you know, don't let that fool you. I mean, he was very good at what he did. Right. He was very smart and very intelligent. um, You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know.
2: What did you make of the? Uh, because I remember that I found this interesting—the quote-unquote prediction of 9/11 that he uh, did in, on his uh, radio show, I believe. That was quite interesting. And I mean, unfortunately, I didn't find out about it after the fact. But from what you know of uh, Bill Cooper, are you surprised uh, that he said something like that that came to pass, or do you think that you know he he had no, the information sure, like to? I, like
3: I said, I think Bill had his information. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I said, I met him uh, not a long time ago. I had to be back. Yeah it was a really long time ago, I worked with a guy named Mills Crenshaw who um, who actually has a foreword in the book, or not really a foreword, he has a, uh, what do you call it, a, a nice little uh, blurb about how mm-hmm. good the book mm-hmm. is. And he was the real deal. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing about him. He yeah. was the real deal. And I think a lot of people, you know, they'll say say what you will about him, but mm-hmm. um, he had inside information. I don't think it was just some dumb luck. I think right. that he certainly, you know, had that information. I think it's unfortunate what happened to him, but I think that you know, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes, you know, you make you make a bad decision mm-hmm. and things happen. Yeah, and it's like it doesn't make the man any less of a, a hero or any more of a hero. He's right. just a good man who did a lot of great things and and uh said a lot of great stuff and um you know just unfortunately wound up being shot by police officers. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate that it happened but you know, his wife said, well, it's not a big conspiracy, and I think people shouldn't read into it as anything mm-hmm. more than just him, you know, being him. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I'm pooping on everybody's party by saying it. But, <laughs> no, it's about right all right. I would, I would rather, I would rather have him go down as a man who believed in what he did, as of a course. man who you could have a beer with and have fun with and right. talk to, and, and a man who had a great sense of humor and a man who, had, who knew how to, you know, treat people mm-hmm. and, and how he was respectful of people. Um, You know, I mean, back in the day, I was kind of a drinker and and people say I was a drunk too, but you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, you know, people are people. Yeah, of course. It's not like, you know, he was trying, it's not like he was trying to be any more than just a remarkable individual who influenced me and influenced Mm -hmm. you and influenced everybody else who uh, just happened to be reading his book. His book was very influential. It did make its mark. And I tell people all the time, you need to read Behold the Pelt Horse. You need to read uh, Robert Anton Wilson. You need to read Joseph Campbell in order to understand the kids are told of this stuff. And so, you know, he comes highly recommended for me. And, yeah. I, and in fact, in the time I, I met him, I, I, I just thought that it was such an honor to meet him and it was such a, you know, I it's something that I can take with me for the rest Correct. of my life, and that's what
2: I think is amazing about the man. So yeah, yeah, yeah no, he's he, even back then. I I remember I I saved uh, my lunch money and ordered the uh, VHS <laughs> copy of the Supruder film that he uh, mentioned. in His book, I was Your lunch yeah. money oh, was meant it, for yeah, lunch. That was
3: amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was. I mean, amazing. Video, I don't know if I buy the theory of the, the uh, guy in
1: the yeah, exactly Kennedy,
3: but um, you know, I I don't always you know being. Uh, a person who analyzes conspiracy I'm not the guy, I'm sure they think every conspiracy that comes down the road I believe in or everything mm-hmm. I see I believe Right. See, that's always a misconception about people who do shows anymore, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate yeah. that, you know, when you're doing a show like this, or when you guys talk about what you talk about, it's not that we find it fascinating, you know the listener has to think that you believe everything you say, mm-hmm. well what I say is not not what I believe it's what I think is interesting, it's what I think is fascinating. And I may say, well, there are some things here that I find interesting and I may believe or I may think are interesting. Right. But, uh, you know, people are saying, and, and I think the biggest mistake of all is when, you know, people who do talk shows like me and you and everybody else, mm-hmm. they say, I'm doing, I'm giving you the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you the truth. And I'm like thinking, well, it's the truth based on your research is the truth. I think based on, um, you know, uh, your sources and yeah. uh, sometimes your sources may lie to you. And then what happens to that truth you're telling? And so I tell people, I'm honest with what I talk about, mm-hmm. and I'm honestly trying to find out the truth. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not, I don't know if I give it. I just know that I, I find what I'm talking about fascinating, and, and, and that's because you know the reason why I say I don't know if I'm giving the truth or not is because I think people are so caught up in these people who do talk shows mm-hmm. where they tell you, well, this is the truth as we this is the truth they never say this is the truth as we see it. And it's always agenda. There's always an agenda behind it. There's always some sort of a political bend yeah. on it. And, and, you know, that's unfortunate because I remember when talk radio was pure. I remember when talk radio, you would say things and, and you could do things and you could be, you know, you, yeah. you could say things and do things that are honest and truthful. And you do so in such a creative way and people would go, wow, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I've always thought about. Instead mm-hmm. of this is what I want you to believe, this is what I want you to think. And if you don't think or believe that way, you're not part of our little club. You're not part of our little clique. And I just find that just unfortunate. They've done this with the collective consciousness of this country, where they've created both, you know, liberal and conservative. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in between. There's Mm -hmm. nothing out of the margins. There's nothing out of the lines. And I just Mm -hmm. find that very irritating. And and it just aggravates me to
2: think that it continues. We've discussed it on this show quite a bit. The the whole issue of politics, you know, it's almost like wrestling. You know, it's almost like to me, it seems like a show because these people behind closed doors you know they they probably go out and have a few beers themselves or something you know but for for the rest of us in the public it seems like dividing conquer type of technique and they put us in a democrat or a, or a republican box and The way it seems to me is that no matter who ends up being president, it just seems like there's some kind of agenda that just keeps being pushed forward, regardless, like I said, of who is uh, uh, heading the country. Do you think that there is something like a shadow government controlling uh, some of the the situations that happen in this country?
3: Oh, sure. Yes. Well, they admitted to it. Um, uh, During 9-11, they admitted to it. They said, yes, there's a shadow government that acts on behalf of the government. I believe there's a dark order, and I also believe there's a synarchy running the government, uh, which means that there's a higher order, a higher power that they mm-hmm. answer to. There's not a power or any order that we know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the other orders are out there, the Illuminati and all yeah. these other orders that we think we know run the world, and they don't. So, why whenever I get into arguments with people about them, I mean, they always go after the Jewish conspiracy. They always mm-hmm. go after the Jesuit conspiracy and the Masonic conspiracy and all these other conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah, these are interesting conspiracies to talk about. But the truth is, is there's probably a darker, a much higher order that's ahead of those, and they answer to that order, and and uh, that's why they do what they do. I mean, we can vilify anyone, we can villainize uh, anyone right. if they're if we perceive they're in control. But if you're vilifying them because they're in control of you, then that means you've lost control of yourself. And mm-hmm. I've always I've always felt that wow. to be very very, um, you know, it, it just it, that's another thing too is that when you're involved with this type of talk and this type of pre- presentation, there are several people out there that if you don't say enough about the Jews, or if you don't mm-hmm. say enough about the Muslims, or you don't say enough about the Jesuits, or the Catholics, or you don't say enough about them, they think that, oh, you're being guarded, you can't say this because your Jewish handlers won't let you, or you, oh, and I you always mm-hmm. think to myself, you know, where do these guys come from? And and the thing is, is that the reason why it's not talked about all the time it's not because of the fact that the Jewish handlers are telling them not to, and maybe in some cases it is. Hell, I don't know. But I don't, mm-hmm. I don't uh, experience that. Okay. I've never been told any time in my life, and then when I've done my shows, that you know, you know, the Jewish groups that are listening to my show. I mean, yeah, right. they'll tell you, they'll make judgment calls. But see, I don't have, I don't work with uh, Jewish handlers. I don't have Jewish handlers, nor do I have Jesuit handlers. Mm-hmm. I don't have any of those things, and yet. There are plenty of things out there that say I do. There are plenty of things out there that say that I'm a shill for this or I'm a shill for that. And whatever happened to, hey, let's just listen and, and, and you know, let's let's listen to this guy and, and not make a judgment call because if he talks about certain things, there's an agenda behind him. And right. I blame the media for this. I blame mm-hmm. the mainstream media for this. I blame radio media for this when they started doing this whole, you know, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, mm-hmm. you're a liberal, you're a conservative um, you know, yeah. you're this, you're that. And I and I blame that because, uh, you know, people, of course, they want to talk about these topics, but sometimes they're like, there's no answer to these topics. You know, you know there's no definitive way of answering it. Uh, and when you do, you're running into territory where you draw a thin line between hate or you draw a thin line between bias. And, and that's why sometimes you know people say, why don't you ever do a Scientology show? And I say, mm-hmm. well. There's a fine line between, you know, violating um, some sort of a trust or violating mm-hmm. some sort of a, you know, situation where it's like when you're talking about Catholicism and you want to point out that, you know, the priests have been molesting little mm-hmm. boys. Right. Okay? We all right. know that now. Mm-hmm. Well just because I don't talk about it every, like, so often doesn't mean I condone it. That's right. Doesn't I mean I'm being told I can't talk about it. It's just, it's a topic that when you talk about it, you talk in circles, and it just gets to the point where there's no solution and you walk away unhappy. Mm-hmm. You walk away, you know, kind of depressed about it. And uh, there are several topics that, you know, I've, you know, taken on in the past that uh, I figured this is like a one-time shot. It's like, you know, in an old cartoon where, you know, Daffy Duck decides that he wants to drink gasoline and he wants to drink gunpowder. And then at the end, he sets himself on fire and he explodes on the stage. He goes, oh, it's the most remarkable act you've ever done. <laughs> he says, yeah, I know, but I can only do it once.
1: Right, that's right. I think
3: about some of these topics. <laughs> yeah, it's the most remarkable topic I've ever done, but I can't do it again. I just don't feel like it. I walked away feeling worse because I did the topic rather than better. You know,
2: Talking about topics, what are some of the topics that... You know, every now and then I come across some things that I will literally lose, you know, sleep over, you know, thinking about it, trying to, like, analyze it and, and, and try to make sense of it. What are some of the topics that, you know, keep you up at night?
3: Uh, anything nuclear keeps me mm-hmm. up at night. Uh, you know, because like being, uh, you know, being the uh, grandson of a downlander and being and spreading that to my family is something that I really have been concerned about because of the genetic. Uh, what it's done to me genetically and what's done to my son genetically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the things about, you know, mutations and yeah. radiation. And, uh, you know, because, of course, you know, this has made me prone to cancer. And I just don't want to have that C word being told mm-hmm. again to me again, which is right. me even angrier. Because I just seem to think as though that's going to be more the rest of my life, is, you know, going under the knife until someone says, hey, you can't take it anymore. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, and I want to fight like hell to, you know, make it work. Right. Uh, and and then we get over it. But yeah, nuclear scares are pretty scary for me. Um, uh, there's nothing really. I guess about, I think the only thing is uh, that's most scary is losing control, mm. and that is control of my senses, control of my faculties, being under the uh, you know being under the watchful eye of someone who's thinking that you're a certain way when you're really not, right. or people who overanalyze you or judge you or. Or throw you into one little category, and you're mm-hmm. you're trying like hell to say, I'm not this way, I'm not this way, I'm yeah, not this yeah. way, and they and they basically put you in that, and they put you into that that uh, group. Mm-hmm. That's why whenever I'm, you know, I'm on the air and I'm doing anything, I, I try to separate myself from other opinions that are being expressed on other talk shows or right. podcasts or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that makes me, you know, in some ways a party pooper because. Everybody thinks. Well, quite obviously, thinks that there was a plane that didn't go into the. Pla- there, there was no plane in the Pentagon.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I
3: believe a plane went into the Pentagon. I, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I I know a guy who drove cab for Washington D.C. He saw the plane going into the Pentagon. Oh wow! Um, so you know, I you know I trust this guy. He wouldn't lie mm-hmm. to me, and yeah. he's not part yeah. of the Illuminati, and he's not any of those things.
1: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
3: I and I'd say. Why well, don't that? Saw the plane go to the Pentagon? Well, there, look, there was no wreckage. I didn't see any wreckage. Well, just because you didn't see any wreckage
1: mm-hmm.
3: doesn't mean squat. Mm-hmm. Just because you weren't there at nine eleven and you didn't see this happen doesn't mean squat. Another thing too is that um, I was um, at a uh, well, how was it a uh, conspiracy convention? Uh-huh. And uh, somebody asked me, says, "What stories are you planning on doing for the next year?" And I said, "Oh, I want to do a story on Building six Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, you mean Building 7? I go, no, Building 6. Oh, no, Building 7. That's the one that, you know, go, no, 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 Building 6. Mm-hmm. And I said, why would you want to do a story on Building 6? I says, because that's where they kept all the gold. That's where they kept all the mm-hmm. records. That's where they kept everything. Mm-hmm. And that building exploded before the two towers were hit. And oh, I wow. And nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how Building 6 at World Trade Center exploded on its foundation before the planes even hit the the Jeez. two towers. And and, um, and I said, I think that's a very intriguing story. Mm-hmm. While we know that they brought down uh, all three of those buildings that we saw come down in a controlled demolition or with, you know, with whatever, you yeah. know, the, the, the uh, uh, you know thermite or whatever they decided was used. Right, right. We saw that. We witnessed it with our eyes. And it wasn't, you know, conspiracy theorists brought us up. It was the mainstream media itself that suggested this. And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really knows that either. I think all the people who say. Well, this is a conspiracy theory. No, it wasn't a conspiracy theory. It was reported by the mainstream news, Peter Jennings, all of these guys, uh, Dan Rather. Mm -hmm. They all said, take a look at uh, how this building has come down, even Tom Brokaw. He says, "Will you watch a controlled demolition? This is exactly how it looks. And obviously uh, they brought these buildings down and and then immediately – we'd forget it was flushed down the memory hole, and then everything was changed to say it pancaked down. There's no question that all these buildings came down because of the fires and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, you'll never convince anybody unless you can play them. Which I have. I have them. You know, I've played them before on my show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, same with things like chemtrails. There's a right. chemtrail that's so stupid. I said, well, do they know that a 1986 report by John Chancellor on NBC News was talking about how these trails coming out of jet aircraft could manipulate the weather and also could be used for geoengineering. Right. right. In the future, they may use them to, you know, plant, uh, see the skies with something that could cause weather changes. And, you know, I, I remember that report and I found it and I played it on my show and I think a lot of people still are convinced that, mm-hmm. you know, this whole idea of the lingering contrails or the chemtrails or whatever you want to call them yeah. are, are, are a reality and that, uh, you know, who knows what's going on, you know, but we know that they are draping the skies with this stuff and so, you know, either way, mm-hmm. you, know, you have a fascinating story that uh, people want to dismiss out of hand because they think that, you know, some tinfoil hat wearing bozo out, is out there making this stuff up, and they're really not. I mean, this right. is something that's planted. You know, even the mainstream media gave us the word flying saucer. I mean, you look at the print media, sure. and when they interviewed Kenneth Arnold, they said, so, you know, tell us, Kenneth, what did you see? I saw these flying shields in the sky, and they skipped around the sky like a saucer on water. Right. Oh, so you saw a flying saucer, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just that flying saucer was being used to describe, you know, what they saw. And then, of course, UFO, unidentified flying object, mm-hmm. was really an unidentified aerial craft that no one really recognized. Didn't mean that uh, aliens were piloting it. It just meant it was some strange craft. Now, a UFO is meant to signal uh, it signals to people what people are seeing is a Unidentified craft piloted by aliens or piloted by extraterrestrials, and so you know when you when people say, "Do you believe in UFOs?" Mm -hmm. You know, you say, "Well, what do you mean? Do I believe that unidentified flying objects exist?" Well, of course they do. Um, Do you believe? um, I don't know if they're piloted by aliens. I don't know if they're piloted by extraterrestrials. But yes, I believe. That there are things out there that we see that we don't understand, and it could be natural, it could be something else. Right. So, yeah, it's a, they always like to throw these trick questions out there because people and the media itself mm-hmm. are not, in my opinion, uh, definite or, or direct or, or anything about it, any of this stuff. And so it becomes, you know, kind of catchwords, yeah. buzzwords, phrasing that kind of gets us into trouble. And it's gotten me into trouble before, and it gets me into trouble sometimes. But uh, I, I tend to be more, I try to be more, um, I don't know. Uh I want to be more clear about stuff like this, but it, it seems that UFO now, the definition is uh, an unidentified spacecraft or an identified flying object powered right. by aliens, which is difficult to try and
2: explain. It's funny because you mentioned uh, the, that first UFO sighting They gave us the, the, the word flying saucer. I remember looking at the, at the photograph of this gentleman holding up an illustration of what he claims to have seen. You know, it almost looked like a boomerang shape. Uh, you know, it definitely did not look like a flying saucer. But I remember thinking that, you know, it was very similar to the B-2 bomber or some of these single-wing aircraft that, you know, later we found out right. that the Germans had been working on and then the oh. U.S. had experimented with it sometime, I think it was in the 50s or 60s. I mm-hmm. apologize if my facts are wrong in that one, but I just found it interesting right. how it kind of looked like that. You mentioned Ron Patton earlier. He he works with you, and Ron Patton is a great guy. I've, I've I've known him for for uh, a few years now, and it's a funny story. Uh, yeah. The way I got in touch with Ron, I believe it was in the early days of the internet, around 97, 98. We had just gotten internet at my home. There wasn't a whole lot going on in the internet back in those days, and I came across this uh, article. With the title Aliens and Demons Clothing, which, uh, you know, I went on to read and I found fascinating and I remember saving it and I even printed a copy of this. And uh, fast forward some years later, I started doing this show and I remember that article and I began, you know, Googling and looking for it. Finally, I found it and at the bottom... The name of the author was none other than Ron Patton. I proceeded to stalk him on Facebook and had him uh, as a guest on my show. And he's been on the show uh, on several occasions now. And he's, like I said, a great guy. You know, we love Ron and we want to send a big hello to him. But I wanted to ask you, what is your take on, we're talking about, you know, UFOs and Who's flying these things? What is your take on these uh, entities that seem to be flying in these aircraft? Is it alien? Are they interdimensional? Is it just all, you know the government? In all your years, obviously exploring this topic, what what conclusions have you come to, if any?
3: Well, I would say this, um, and this is kind of a I guess you could call it a part by part thing. Mm -hmm. I would say this. I would say that most of the things that we see in the sky are not piloted by aliens. I -hmm. think they're uh, probes. They're probably Mm -hmm. observing probes that come down or maybe even uh, robotically piloted probes that come down and observe. Uh, That would be, you know, that would be the first thing because what do most civilizations do? I mean, they send a right. satellite out there or they send something, a robot down to explore the planet's surface mm-hmm. or whatever. So I'm thinking most of the things we see that are in the sky that we think are, you know, extraterrestrial, they are, they could be extraterrestrial. Um, yeah. and, but they're not piloted by anybody because you kind of, you got to figure, you know, these are very small craft. It'd be the, it'd be the equivalent of, you know, flying a, uh, you know, uh, what, a Volkswagen bug into the sky <laughs> right. and uh, landing it somewhere. I mean, they're very small. Now, there are bigger craft that we've been seeing and perhaps these smaller craft come from a bigger craft. That's something to think about. Right. But yeah, I'm thinking that what we see is not always what we think we're getting. Mm-hmm. Um Of course, you know, the whole thing is in our minds put together where if there's a flying saucer, there's got to be aliens piloting it. Not necessarily. If there's a flying saucer seen in the sky, obviously they're they're here and they're interested in us, not necessarily. Um, you know, it, it's just that sometimes I think we, we let the, I guess, uh, we, we let the, uh, the the typical mundane nature of our programming get the best of us so we don't stop and think to ourselves that it could be probes, it could be weapons, it right. could be, uh, you know, and then of course there are, there is that rare occasion we may see or may think that aliens are piloting something, but I would say, and then of course, you know, we have to, you know, throw out the outrageous and say, well, wait a minute, maybe this is something that we've created that we have no understanding of and that we're seeing it, we're thinking it's being piloted by aliens. Um, I always go back to the story that, and and people will tell me that I'm wrong here, but I don't really think I'm too far off the map when I tell you that I think that um, uh, this type of knowledge has been gained and has been lost Mm. over and over again throughout time, and the aliens have to continue to remind us. Who's watching over us and who's in charge? And so they make they make contact with governments secretly, and they meet with them, and then mm-hmm. uh, governments are well aware of what they are. They don't know what they're going to be doing because their their motives and their and their modus operandi operandi is very very, uh, you know, it, it, it's erratic. It's it's not necessarily something that you can. It's not consistent, and so the reason why they don't tell the public is because if we were to tell everybody that hey, they're friendly aliens and they love us all. Mm-hmm we would go into that going, oh, they love us all. And then when they turn on us, we'll go, wait a minute, the government lied to us about it. Mm. Um, And I think that many times deals have been um, made and have been broken. And uh, I think the most, uh, probably the most written about story is the idea the aliens made a deal with Nazis. And the the Nazis, you know, were the ones that had all the uh, intelligent uh, machinery, the Wunderwaffen and all that stuff. And then Mm -hmm. they had flying saucers and then they... They decided to take from those flying saucer designs, uh, you know, aircraft that can yeah. be piloted by rockets and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, whatever happened at Roswell could have been a combination of both alien and human or human only. Or mm-hmm. you have to understand, when Project Paperclip happened, all those German yeah. soldiers and, and all those German scientists came over here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where were the first UFO sightings? They were in the Northwest. What? Uh, what is one of the. The, the biggest, uh, you know, manufacturers at the time, well, aerospace, you have Boeing, mm-hmm. you know, Martin Marietta, you had JPL. Yeah. All these companies were, were based in the Northwest and they still are. Um, you know, of course, you know, Boeing is, you know, that's the first thing yeah. you do when you go into Seattle. Um, so, you know, this aircraft that they were using or testing or whatever was seen by a lot of people,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Kenneth
3: Arnold, uh, you know, yeah. uh, the Marietta Affair, all that stuff. And then, of course, one week later or two weeks later, they have a, a huge crash at Roswell. Mm-hmm. And of course, some of the German scientists were at Los Alamos, uh, White Sands, um, um, you know, and you uh, know, Ohio, and they were testing all this stuff at the yeah. time. So. Uh, just saying that they were testing machinery that crashed at Roswell isn't saying the aliens were involved in some way. Right. So the aliens did get that technology to the Nazis, and, yes, the aliens were involved, mm-hmm. and, the, and the technology was trying to be perfected and back-engineered even during that time, even before Area 51 was even thought about. So contemplate that for a moment and say to yourself, well, then, yes, aliens did influence it, but were the aliens there at Roswell? I do anyone's mm-hmm. guess. Right? I'd say they were, but, you know, so far uh, the evidence at hand is not, demonstrate either yay or nay it just yeah. basically uh you have eyewitness testimony those eyewitnesses are dying so there you go
2: it always seemed to me when i began to look into project paperclip that it indeed it looked like just a continuation of the nazi secret space program i guess if if i could use the term to describe it in that way because as soon as they came over you're right you know the the ufo sighting started at the same time do you think that there is a possibility the uh Eisenhower Alien Treaty, do you think that something like that happened, and is that why we had alien abductions and things of that nature uh, in the subsequent decades?
3: Well, it's all in the history, you know, um, and that's the thing, is that it's in the history, and the only thing is, all the things we have are the accounts in the history. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, You know, there's always other stories, too, that we know about or we hear about, and most of them are here say I don't know if I believe them mm-hmm. I know they certainly are um, are are fascinating um, and they're worth talking about and so I would say that there had to have been something that mm-hmm. went on in the 1950s to actually you know give us these so-called alien uh, you know give us these these alien stories about abduction and all the other yeah. stuff that were involved and so those are the things that I think, uh, those are the things I think that we need to pay attention to is that, you know, we need to go through the histories. We need to look at like Blue Book. We need to look at the Majestic 12 documents. We need to look at all those things because yeah. those things are going to be able to tell us, uh, but most people I'm sure have not read them or mm-hmm. that they've skimmed through them because I mean, we're looking at documents or government documents that are mostly blacked out. Yeah. And I yeah. think people lose, I think people lose their patience and they don't want to go through them. This is too much, too hard. But and we live in times with the, you know attention spans that don't last too True. long. So you have to really be into research. You have to really be into all this stuff to understand it. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I'm, I still am learning new things. I still mm-hmm. find new things that I didn't think that I'd find. I still you know go well. Where was I when this is being talked about? Where was I when this happened? Right. Um, like this, for example, tonight I was uh, looking at a uh, uh, video. Actually, not a video, but it was a preview for something called The Visit which is actually a uh, sanctioned UN movie that was at the Sundance Film Festival mm-hmm. back in February and i think they were going to release it or they did release it earlier in the month uh, to be watched and the, the, the first time i got to see it was uh, just a few days ago mm-hmm. and i finally had the opportunity to uh i finally had the opportunity to uh, watch some of it today and it actually has scientists and uh, the UN and several other groups uh, saying, you know, what would actually happen if aliens came to Earth? And now, popular science is mm-hmm. writing a story about this, this visit, um, video. And this is after so many things have indicated that there may be life on Mars or there may be life, right. you know, the Kepler planets and all this. And so it's finally coming out. And now they're very, they're taking it very seriously. The UN is taking it very seriously now and they're putting out videos and things to prepare us and get you know, our mindset for this possibility. Right. So that's the thing I find fascinating.
2: No, it's true. It's true. And it, it seems like we're heading in that direction. Um, speaking of heading in any kind of given direction, uh, we're going to be taking our top-of-the-hour break in just a few mm-hmm. minutes. But first, let me ask you about something really interesting, Clyde, because uh, I think, as most people know, I'm, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan. And I was reading mm-hmm. that you hosted, for a while you were hosting a show called In the Pink, and uh, you were not- among the first to begin synchronizing Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon to the movie Wizard of Oz. Did I read that yeah. correctly? Because that is super cool.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, I was on a uh, radio show, uh-huh. uh, WRKO, uh, Jeff Katz show in Boston. And it was after, there was a huge article about me in Radio Records Magazine about Ground Zero. And he was asking me questions about you know, my heritage, my background. I said, I host this show called In the Pink. It was about mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. And I said a number of people that I knew at the time, um, a number of radio programmers and people that were involved. Uh, were actually getting together. We were having these parties, Pink Floyd parties and stuff, and I was doing a show called In the Pink, where I was playing all kinds of Pink Floyd music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was very you know interested in this. Mm-hmm. But it went all the way back to high school um, when I was stoned once listening to a Pink Floyd album. <laughs> uh, I actually uh, had seen The Wizard of Oz playing at the time that the album was playing, and I thought it was kind of interesting, but I never really explored it too much later in life until I wanted mm-hmm. to deal with synchronicities and talk about those things. And so by accident, we actually were experimenting with a little place called Telecine, which was this, uh, huge, uh, that is a huge, uh, uh, television editing bay that was provided by a little television station called KTV, mm-hmm. Channel 2 in Salt Lake City. And I worked with Kevin DeLulo, who I did Nightfall with. And we kind of put it together with everybody, a bunch of radio people, showed it at the Tower Theater. We also showed Pink Floyd in Pompeii, live nice. in Pompeii, and, uh, it, we just did it as a, as a joke, and then a mm-hmm. woman named Zannie Holden, who ran the planetarium there, we did laser dark side of the moon, where we had laser uh, laser show with uh, our synchronization, mm-hmm. was really That's cool. cool. And then I was on Jeff Katz's show, and I told him that we were doing it. And then uh, a week later, the Boston Globe reported the two DJs uh, in Boston did it, and I guess they got all the credit for it, or somebody did. And then everybody mm-hmm. was talking about how they did it, and everybody said they did it. And then uh, I did an interview with Alan Parsons, and I told him you know some details that he didn't know, and. He told me. He said, "Oh my gosh!" He says, "You have too much time on your hands." He told me, and I said, "No." I said, "It's just many times just you know, you know, winding away the hours stoned and watching, watching uh, you know, Wizard of Oz and other movies, and just kind of having fun with the soundtracks." And mm-hmm. uh, I would synchronize Pink Floyd music to other music, Led Zeppelin, um, you know, other other songs. It was because of yeah. the fact that I, I, I was probably one of the first guys to do mashups like that. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I was kind of a pioneer in mashup. Yeah. And, bunch of other things. Now, now there are people out there that mash up better than I do or even because they got all the equipment to do it. But we had to do it with like two turntables. We had to do it with like right. matching right. beats. We mm-hmm. had to do it with like and sometimes it wouldn't work. It would sound like garbage.
1: Yeah. Um, we didn't
3: have the equipment they have now where they can take out sound and add mm-hmm. drums and all this other stuff. So you, know, you got people out there that are really good, you know, like DJ Schmoll and you've got like Cell Dweller and all these other people out there um, You know, that are out there that do this kind of stuff. And and I marvel at their at their their wonderful talent and I find matchup to be a fascinating phenomenon most people don't but I think it's amazing.
2: Yeah, no, it, it really is and and I must say I remember the first time I watched the Wizard of Oz with the Dark Side of the Moon uh, record uh, synced up. I, I, you know, it was it was really cool. There's a question in the chat that says... Yeah, I was going to uh, say,
0: there's been a few coming up, but um, just so we don't miss this one because it's related. Um, KP in the chat asks, um, Clyde, which time do you sync it up to? Um, is it when the lion roars three times or the cowardly lion roars?
3: It's after the third roar the MGM lion makes you okay. start. We did it with the record album. We didn't do it mm-hmm. with CDs. That's how that's how old we are, folks. Um, <laughs> we did it with Dark Side of the Moon album, um, and it was uh, difficult then to do with mm-hmm. the album. But it's interesting to note that for some reason, this is timed so well yeah. that um, at the end of the big gig in the sky, uh, where it finally ends and, and mm-hmm. Dorothy uh, walks towards the door it gives you plenty of time to take the album off the turntable, put it down, put it down again. And when she opens the door to walk into, uh, you know, Munchkin land, mm-hmm. it goes right into money. Yeah. By, uh, mm-hmm. Floyd. So, I mean, they, they kind of timed it for when the house crashes yeah. down and she's walking through the house to get to the door in that time. You're supposed to hurry, take the record off the turntable, put it back on and then mm-hmm. set the record again. By the time she opens the door, money begins. So, uh, that's how you do it with a record, with a CD. Uh, that's <laughs> something that you know you do the third roar, and then after Big Gig in the Sky happens, you you have to you have to then I think pause it to do it right, and then uh, once you hear Money, you you turn Money on mm-hmm. song Money, which he opens the door to Walking the Munchkin Land, and that's when it starts again and it works. Again, some people have uh, synced it past the uh, Tin Man's Heart beating.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. We never
3: did. We we knew at the end of the record when we we heard the heart beating at the end Mm -hmm. of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon that this was the Scarecrow and Dorothy listening in uh, to the Tin Man's Heart. Mm -hmm. But we never had anything left over for the Cowardly Lion or even Meeting the Wizard. So people have done that, you know, too. They've gone synced it up again uh, after, you know, the album's over with. And I just don't think it works any further beyond the the Tin Man and his heart beating mm-hmm. so that's as far as we went when we did it but I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there that have done more.
2: And I remember reading, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan and I remember reading that when they they started out in Cambridge they used to play these little gigs and they would have a, a projector with these very like, you know, acidy y psychedelic <laughs> patterns and they would sit there playing along to the patterns and that's why I thought that it was quite possible that yeah, they probably you know did this for, for, well, for a laugh.
3: Yeah, well they did soundtracks too, you know, that Right? They did. Yeah. It's a risky point. And uh, true, that's what they true. were doing. They were doing many soundtracks for movies back then, and mm-hmm. they were doing their own music. And of course, What is the Wall? But a major soundtrack mm-hmm. for a movie that wasn't even made yet. Yeah. And yeah. they made the movie uh, around the record, and it still was a fantastic movie. And in fact, uh, that was another pioneering thing, too. Is that what they did is they made the first real MTV type uh, video mm-hmm. that was basically a whole album, not just a song, it was a whole album set to video, which I think yeah. is amazing. And you know, speaking of Video Killed the Radio Star, that's probably the biggest, you know, really blockbuster video, yeah. just a thriller that uh, caught the people's attentions. And that was before Thriller, so think
2: about that. It's it's mind-blowing. I remember my dad, when I was a little kid, my dad would try to explain to me how Pink Floyd were ahead of their time. And as a Mm seven-year-old, I would just look at him perplexed, going like, what? Um, But obviously, I got to the age where I got it. (laughs) And that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) You're very timeless, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Clyde, can you hang on the line just for for a few minutes? And uh, we're going to resume this conversation on the other side of the break, if that's all right. That's fine, yeah. Awesome. All righty. Uh, and since we're talking about Pink Floyd and Clyde mentioned the song Money, <laughs> I think it's quite appropriate that we go out with some uh, Pink Floyd money from Dark Side of the Moon. The one you got to flip the, 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 the record out, you know, to get this track to, yeah, to get it to. <laughs> actually, I had to deal with CDs, so yeah. I, I missed the record part but you
0: weren't, you weren't flipping yeah CDs. no
2: no but then actually they started selling bootleg vhs's with the you know the yeah, dark yeah, side yeah, of the moon yeah. album Just, yeah. uh you know already included and i, I think that's the one i ended that's up kind getting of
0: a downgrade though <laughs> well
2: you know back in those days right anyways guys don't go away what's the record is gonna be right back enjoy this song our guest tonight Clyde lewis of the Amazing Ground Zero Radio. You think uh, this guy knows a lot? Check out his radio show. He dissects topics like nobody else. Enjoy this jam. We're gonna be right back. Some Pink Floyd. Let's do this- What's up, guys? This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And you're listening to West of the Rockies with Frank. This portion of the show is sponsored by Haunted Orange County, your premier source for all things haunted in and around OC. From haunted history ghost walks to ghost group hunting expeditions at some of SoCal's most haunted destinations. Make your fall plans early and book an upcoming tour or investigation today. Visit hauntedoc.com. and we are back to the second hour west of the rockies i'm frank thank you guys for sticking around i know it's late but we're having a great time tonight as always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter. West of the Rockies on Facebook. Check out the website wotrradio.com and follow the show on Twitter WTR Radio. Genevieve Uwe on Twitter there, mm-hmm. and you can catch her on her very own show on this station at 9 p.m. No added flavors, music, jokes, facts.
0: Thursdays, every Thursday. Yep.
2: Uh, our guest tonight is none other than Mr. Clyde Lewis of Ground Zero uh, Radio, and you can uh, check him out. Well, check out his website or you can check him out as well, Uh, (laughs) groundzeromedia.org. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Clyde Lewis and uh and go go check out his Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash ground zero radio. Let me bring Clyde back into the conversation. Here, Clyde, can you hear us okay?
1: Yes, I can. Very uh,
2: much so. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. And and by the way, thank you for your candid responses to, to all our questions. Uh you know, and, and it's always fun to have somebody that can just honestly answer some of these questions that I mean are they really complex. You know, they a lot of these questions don't yeah. have a yes or no answer. So, you know, we, we really appreciate well, you. A,
3: uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, you know, when they hear somebody on the air, they think this is the way the person is. And people are always saying, you know, when I do these interviews, I just say, it's not what we expected them to be. And I, I don't have to be anything. I'm just me. And, and I think people who meet me, you know, they're, they're very surprised mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, my attitudes about things like this and how I feel about them. Um, and it's not like, uh, you know, I think people tend to think that those who talk about these type of subjects live, drink, eat, and sleep them.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: No, we don't. I mean, I'm a typical guy. I puts my like I put my pants on one leg at a time, and, <laughs> you know. And I watch silly TV shows, and I'm I can be a fanboy sometimes. I go to comic conventions, and I, nice, you know. And then I, I you know I spend time with my my fiance and her son, and you know all these other things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if people really were to think about you know what I do when I'm not on the radio, they'd say, well, this guy is just like anybody else. Mm-hmm.
1: And, mm-hmm. and, I,
3: and I, get, I always get the idea that I'm just some, you know, rich guy getting paid by the Illuminati or getting paid by, big you money. And I'm saying, <laughs> no, I'm really not. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, and this one guy wrote me one says, obviously you're part of the Illuminati just because I flipped a, well, I, I was with a rock star friend of mine mm-hmm. who happens to be in a band called Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I gave a kind of a, a goofy... You know, devil symbol. Where I use both hands instead of one. And this guy goes, obviously, you're in the Illuminati, and I heard it back. I said, well, if I'm in the Illuminati, I wouldn't be doing a radio show. A and B, I'd be trying to take over the world. And C, I would eliminate Kanye, Kanye West and the Kardashians if I were in the Illuminati. So, you know, nice. it's, um, you know they and people tend to just let their imaginations run wild. And I remember uh, Alice Cooper uh, once said, uh, he says, just let them, you know, just let them use the publicity. And I'm like thinking, yeah, but you know, it's. You know, it's one thing to say that you, you know, it's one thing to say that you uh, did something on stage mm-hmm. than it is that people actually put in print on a Facebook page or somewhere else that you've done this and right. or you're in the middle of this because it's like, you know, I deal with people every day mm-hmm. uh, on a level other than a radio level. And it's like I tell people don't ever believe what's in my Wikipedia page, <laughs> uh, especially beyond the, beyond the facts, because to be quite honest... Um, there's actually a, a guy out there, and he knows who he is. He's from San Diego, and he basically vandalizes my page. Oh wow! On a and it just got to the point where I couldn't keep up with it anymore. And so most of the stuff you read on my Wikipedia page is nonsense. Just oh wow! It's not real.
1: That's insane. Um, most <laughs> they, and
3: they link to these, they link to these spurious magazines, these spurious, you know, mm-hmm. things that are just not even. And then I and then use my own articles that I write and my research papers that I write mm-hmm. as uh, saying that this is what I truly believe in, therefore oh, wow. I'm not to be trusted about certain things. Just because I talk about subjects that uh, are controversial, mm-hmm. right. so I'm bringing them up. I must truly believe in them rather than saying, well, he brings up these topics, they're very controversial and no word on whether or not he truly believes this.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, mm-hmm. And I tell people, well, I mean, it's not a matter of belief, it's a matter of anal- anal- analyzing the yeah. story. It's a matter yeah. Of, yeah. Exploring the story and then my beliefs are my own. Mm-hmm. And when people try to pry them out, I mean, I always say, well, you know, it's it's a none thing. And they go, <laughs> what does none mean? I say, it's none damn business. <laughs> right. That's what it is. It's none business. So, I mean, I like to try to keep my beliefs to myself because I always say to people that, you know, it's where you keep your mind, you know, you keep where they can't get out of it. Keep it ground zero, meaning keep it open for, you know, beginning and end and clean and not clean and anything else that comes your way because, you know, identifying yourself with a certain philosophy or ideology, I feel, uh, makes it all rigid and keeps you confined to one space. Mm-hmm. I always feel more liberated when I keep my mind open and say, I don't know if I believe this, but I certainly find it fascinating. I don't know, you know. And, and I, I can say it with such conviction because I find it fascinating.
1: Right. And,
3: um, and I think the arguments – because I, I really love debate. And um, when I was in high school, I, I was in debate. And uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is, in debate is that they would never give you a topic in debate that you didn't either, A, either a have to argue for or mm-hmm. B, argue against. And so let's say, for example, it was a, I, it was a uh, thing about education. Mm-hmm. and who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it and uh, I was once given um, I was once given this uh, this debate I had a debate that uh, minorities are slower than whites
1: mm-hmm.
3: and I said I don't believe this why would I even try to debate it well it's a debate right. and you have to you have to give us reasons why you think this or why you have to make the argument that the minorities are, are not as smart yeah. as whites and I felt a little weird about this right. I'm thinking well I don't believe it why would I try to make an argument for it and the reason why is because that's what you do with a debate: is
1: you mm-hmm.
3: analyze both sides of the argument. You may not believe mm-hmm. one side of it, but you certainly want to open your mind to that side of it. If uh, even even though it's uncomfortable, at least you know that there are a group of people out there that think minorities are not as smart as white people. Yeah. And you know, if, you know, if you close your mind to you know the negative or or the uncomfortable or whatever you find uh, your normalcy bias being tampered with. And you most certainly are not going to have a well-rounded education about anything. You're going to right. go along with your own ideas, your own normalcy bias, and your own, your own things that basically you say, well, this is the truth. Well, no, it's the truth as you see it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, um, no, it, I'm really. you have different truths, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I've always said that, you know, I, I loved going to a baiting Club as well back in school. And um, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely like taking on the topics that people just, you know, shied away from and I remember um the mm-hmm. Christmas special one year was you know Santa Claus doesn't exist and we shouldn't be lying to children it was it was something a bit provocative and obviously everyone's exclaiming mm-hmm. saying no you know it's it's a part of childhood i love santa claus etc cetera, etc cetera. and i'm like okay i'll argue for hating santa you know and then there was another really extreme one about um jesus definitely doesn't exist you know again super provocative and mm-hmm. th- they were the most interesting ones to do not because i believed in them but because the exploration of the idea was you know the part where i really started learning
3: yeah, yeah. well and uh, i don't know i've told this story many times about my experience meeting stephen hawking and um, mm-hmm. the discussion we had was whether or not santa claus existed and uh, and he put into terms that he would say, well, using Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, we can prove that Santa Claus exists. Using quantum mechanics, we can prove that Santa Claus exists. Uh, if we reduce him down to tachyon particles, and we'll have every tachyon particle enter into human beings at Christmas time, where they give the spirit of giving. He exists. But he's he's basically whittled away at certain arguments, saying that uh, you know Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Rather than being human, he's either some sort of form of power, or that uh, you know. He also told me he says, "Well, Santa exists in the ether, and try to tell a child
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, that's shaking hands with them in the ether if he's real or not real. They'll say he's real." Mm-hmm. And he says, "If you believe that, uh, you believe that thought forms are are uh, provocative enough to create realities. Yeah, yeah. In some, in some, uh, you know, universe somewhere, some parallel universe, there really is a Santa going door to door." Dropping off toys, mm-hmm. and if we if we most certainly add in the idea of quantum physics, then you'd yeah. be you'd be standing at the North Pole, and you'd see Santa leave, and he'd be right back. Cause the moment he left, the moment he came back, it would be so quick that you wouldn't even notice his way moving.
0: Exactly, and then, yeah. you
3: would know, be like he never left because he's going so fast, doing accurate delivery of all these toys around the world. <laughs> and as I just said it was just a fascinating because he, he brought up the thing he says now. Now let's see. How can Santa be in several places at one time? And mm-hmm. he said to me, he says, "Well, take email for example. He says you write out an email, and he says then you have a down, you have a down uh, line of people that you're sending an email to. You push a button, and let's say you have millions of people on your email list. You push mm-hmm. a button, and those millions of people see that message all at mm-hmm. once." Because so that's how mm-hmm. Santa travels, you know. Mm-hmm. Boom, he's wow. there, and he's he's in several places at once, and that and that is the message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I thought it was kind of a beautiful thought, you know. Yeah. It's not that, yeah. not that I'm thinking that some red guy in a, in a suit and a uh, you know beard <laughs> is going to come down my chimney or even out of my microwave. Right. I just think that uh, it's just a fascinating thing to explore and to make arguments for. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that you believe it. You know, you believe it. It just means that you you've done the research to try and bring people to that idea. I mean, that's why successful lawyers exist Mm because they create that doubt or they create that ability for people to go, well, what if, you know, what if this happened Mm -hmm. or what if, you know, and that's, I love no. living in that world of what you while I'm on the radio, rather than living in, well, this is the way it is, and everything else is ridiculous to be on joyless I think mean, that's a joyless position to have, and it, it makes you sound so rich and no fun at parties. And right. That's the point, <laughs> you know. Are you going to be fun at parties? Are you great uh, <laughs> conversationalists? Are you just some guy that's going to sit back and go, all this is, like, really weird, you know? Right, right. Yeah, okay.
0: And I totally <laughs> agree, because, you know, when I... I often get into arguments. I'm one of those annoying people who's always super argumentative. And mm-hmm. I, I get really annoyed when people say, oh, yeah, but that would never happen anyway. I'm like, yeah, th- that's not my point. I'm just saying theoretically, what <laughs> if, yes. you know, it's a thought experiment. Yeah. It's not a physical experiment. It's a thought experiment.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, use the words, I always use the words like, it appears to be mm-hmm. or it allegedly oh. is. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm not
0: saying know, it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm not really saying it, but it appears to be this way. I don't think people, uh, and you use words hypothetically, yeah. or, you know, and all these other words, I don't think people really understand it. We're using things like alleged, and it appears to be. And, no, and they attach it to
1: you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. What you really are saying is is that I don't know if I believe it, but it appears to be that way. So until I can touch it, smell it, taste it, or feel it with my own, you know, hands, I don't know if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. I think who say, well, well, aliens don't exist. UFOs don't exist. And I would say, well, okay, you ever been in a bank robbery?
1: Mm-hmm. They go, no.
3: And I said, how do you know it exists? Right. Go, well, right, Bank robberies are real. You know they're real. I go, no, I don't know they're real. Yeah. And here's the yeah. deal, um, and uh, you know, and they, and have you ever watched on the news when a bank robbery happens? What do they do? They post some blurry picture mm-hmm. of the robber that was taken on some cameras in the in the bank. Yeah. And you have to look at it and try and figure out who it is, and most of the time you can't tell because it's a blurry picture. And then if they do catch the guys who are allegedly the robbers in the bank, they don't even uh, they don't even say, well, you're the robbers in the bank. They put them in a courtroom, and then a court has decided that mm-hmm. they're the robbers in the bank.
1: Mm-hmm. They don't yeah.
3: even do that with UFOs. It's like, ah, oh, UFOs don't exist. This stuff doesn't exist. Well, until you've experienced it, then yeah. you don't yeah. know. telling you people have experienced it? So what are you going to say to them? Are you going to say that they're liars? Maybe some are, but are mm-hmm. you really going to tell someone to their face who's had an experience that you haven't had that they're a liar just because you haven't had that experience? Yeah. I think it's I think it's really cruel to tell people you've never had that experience.
1: Absolutely. And uh,
3: I don't believe you, and I think that's why debunkers are uh, <clears throat> are asinine because of that mm-hmm. fact. They, you know, there are skeptics, and true skeptics are the one that keep an op- they keep an open mind. But it kind of use the word skepticism. as to be the debunker or the party pooper or the one mm-hmm. that says, well, yeah. this can't happen and here's why. And I tend to just really, really find these people to be joyless and I don't even want to deal with them.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's like when you ask someone, well, have you ever seen an atom, an electron with your naked eye? And they're like, yeah, but I know uh, they exist, right? I know they, they're there. And it's like, okay, I, yeah. I rest my case.
3: <laughs> Another thing you can do too is you can say, can you prove that your parents love you? <laughs>
1: true you Not,
3: yeah yeah and, and, and they go well what do you mean as well what if i told you i don't believe your parents love you yeah you'd say i was a jerk for saying that mm-hmm. and uh and that's why you know but you you that's tell me belief. your parents love you but prove it prove it to me mm-hmm. prove to me your parents love you what mm-hmm. would you prove that your parents love and they can't do it yeah and it's because of the fact that it's something that is fake it's something that's based on emotion. It's something that's based on belief, mm-hmm. and and you don't have proof that your parents love you. You you think they love you, and you have faith that they love you. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to have somebody else to step on your toes and say I don't think they love you, mm-hmm. that would be just you know that that's just in my opinion just as sacred as your belief systems in God, your belief systems in anything else, and absolutely yeah. tell you that it's wrong, or to or to basically shake you and say believe like I believe I think is is wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I just don't appreciate that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A second ago, you were talking about firsthand experiences. And, you know, I, for me, I remember I was very uh, skeptical when it came to the paranormal until I got a chance to stay overnight at a at this abandoned haunted hospital that was out here in L.A. Lindebeth's uh, hospital. And, you know, I saw mm-hmm. some things and experienced some things that changed my mind. Obviously, Halloween just passed. So I have to ask, uh, have you experienced anything paranormal in all your years of of looking into these Type of topics? Yes. Would you uh, <laughs> care to uh, yes, share share um, um, yeah some of these experiences if you well, if you I would?
3: Mean, um, gosh, I could I could give you a whole laundry list of things I've experienced in my life. Um, uh, most of the strange and unusual things I have experienced in my life uh, dealing with uh, the occult. Uh, we're in South America, which I'd mm. be fascinated with the occult and what people believe. Right. I mean, that's one thing. Um, There were, um, you know, when I was doing my show in in Salt Lake City, I had Mm -hmm. a situation happen to me where I felt the presence of an entity sitting on my lap. Oh, wow. And it led to an an investigation into a murder that took place. A gang member and a woman named Julie was shot and killed. And Mm -hmm. we were doing a seance and she kept saying the words, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking, what, did she like to watch cartoons or what was going on with that? And uh, come to find out, the man who killed her, with a gang member who was known as Looney Tunes. Oh, wow. Um, and that was something that we didn't know. And uh, the police uh, had to tell us, yes, he was the suspect in our case. I said, well, if you want to use spectral evidence, we have a ghost saying that her murderer was named Looney Tunes. So, oh, wow. But they didn't want to do that. But uh, right. certainly it was uh, uh, an experience for me to uh, you know have the ghost you know, Mm -hmm. sit on my lap or to, you know, put its presence on me during the ouija board session, which I thought was amazing. Um, You know, just a number of things. Could you uh, tell us a
2: little bit about the the South America experience, if if you could?
3: Yeah, most of it was, you know, meeting up with curanderos, Mm -hmm. um, seeing how they operate. Curanderos, of course, are like the local witch doctors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, healing processes that they do, um, you know, and the idea that there are, some very diabolical and evil type of, uh, or at least spooky type of people Mm -hmm. who stand out just outside the basilica. There was a man, um, I remember when I lived in Lujan, uh, near Buenos Aires, Mm -hmm. in Argentina. Um, Lujan was like the capital de la fe, they called it uh, the capital of the fe. And uh, la madre de Lujan was there. she was a huge statue that was the Virgin Mary, or not the Virgin Mary, but Mary. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was um, amazing that uh, this basilica was beautiful, two tiered basilica uh, that was there. And there were people there, and I'm not kidding you, they looked like they were from the Walking Dead oh, wow. standing out in front of the church. Mm-hmm. So when I asked the priest, I said, Who are these people? And they said, They are degenerates from hell. Wow. Want to enter in, but they can't. And they were human beings, literally human beings, and their eyes were like kind of whitened and kind of weird looking. And and I said, how long has this man been standing here? Well, so at, at least a few days. And I said, has he eaten anything? No. Has he gone to the bathroom? No. And I oh, remember my. getting as close as I could without getting freaked out. But yeah, they they smelled of urine and oh, and feces, and and they were standing there, basically, you know, not moving, staring at the church. Then eventually they would leave, or they would be told to leave by the police. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they were just these frightening uh, people who, for some reason, they you know, you know, casting your, your eyes upon them, you wouldn't think they were demonic until you got close to them, and you could just feel this sense of um, I guess this loss of humanity in their souls, and mm-hmm. how they didn't care for each other, they didn't care, they didn't care for themselves. And uh, I don't know what that was about, but it was certainly something that uh, freaked me out when I was down
2: there. That sounds uh, quite terrifying. I don't think I've Not ever heard a, a tale like that. I think I'd like be that. more
0: than just quite uh, terrifying.
2: Yeah, no that that yeah. that is something else. I uh, skipped a few questions in the first hour, and I apologize. I um, I want to give uh, Clyde a chance to answer these uh, real quick. One question comes from uh, Kung Pu Kung Pu on the chat room says, thinking of groupthink, which I've heard uh, Clyde mention on Ground Zero. Possibly the superconscious or um, Akashic Records. I'm not sure. Or whatever is Akashic really the Records. one. Okay. Akashic Records, thank you. Uh, or uh-huh. whatever is really the one running the quote unquote secret government. So is the superconscious or Akashic Records uh, what's uh, running the secret government, I believe is the question.
3: Well, um, if you think of a synarchy as being something like that, perhaps, I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, I mean, that could be one idea, um, how this is it being run. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I kinda, I'm kind of, i kind of more fanciful in my thinking about the synarchy and how it would be like some advanced thought process or even an advanced machine that's running everything. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine who once told me, and he was in government, he said, what if I were to tell you that there are tentacles that reach out from a head that, that doesn't exist? That's mm-hmm. what he's talking about. He says, well, there are all these groups that say they answer to a higher power. Mm-hmm. and..." um there's a power over them, a power over them, a power over them. It is infinite, um, and it is this uh, this unfinished pyramid that continues to go greater and greater and greater. And there's always this uh, this watcher that's taking care of it, but the watcher we never see, and yet we know it exists. And I said, well, that's kind of a very, very uh, you know, vague way of describing the power structure. But as I grew older and after talking with it, I was realizing that, you know, this would mean that there is this synarchy where there is a power that is a power that we perceive to be a greater power than what we are, a more divine power or even a more corrupt power that is there mm-hmm. to either destroy us or to um or or to create growth and from the chaos comes order. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. it just it's just a matter of how you see your government as just a bunch of men Mm-hmm. that are uh, capable of controlling the world, or or a group of men who are answering to a h- higher power that has control of the world, that somebody is at the steering wheel of a spaceship that's hurtling through space mm-hmm. around a, around an orb of, uh, you know, heat and, and magnetically charged particles. I mean, you know, it's a very, very arduous task to be someone who controls the planet, and I don't think mankind has the ability to control it all, by themselves i just think we serve we serve and we serve and we serve mm-hmm. and we serve to something that we can't even put our finger on now you can call it god mm-hmm. you can call it satan or you can call it aliens i don't know what you yeah. call it but it's certainly something that runs the world in a divine orderly way because there's so much chaos to deal with so yeah that could be one way of looking at it the akashic mm-hmm. records and and what's in every one of our souls and cells and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's one thought. It's, it's definitely a thought.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Madness had a question. I believe this was uh, around the, the the time when the discussion was centered around uh, health issues. Professor Madness asks uh, if you think that depression is genetic.
3: If depression is genetic? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a <laughs> um, specific and broad
2: yeah. at the same time.
3: That is, I mean, I'm not a geneticist, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and they say that mental illness can be genetic. Yeah. Um, but if that's the case, then most of us, and uh, it would all be crazy, uh, mm. because most of mm-hmm. us, some of us have, uh, at least someone in our family that's had mental illness in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's inevitable now. Um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember how many people I've talked with, who I've associated with, who I've known, who told me that they've had a relative, either a mother or a father or, mm-hmm. or someone else that's near them that had mental illness, whether it be bipolar or or depression, or they were suicidal, or, I mean, it's. Yeah, I think it's the product of this toxic environment, I think, more yeah. so than, yeah. than anything else. I think that we have, um, when we, uh, what do they call it, um, I'm trying to think is axon, is it see, axon or axon, I can't remember the name right now, I'm sorry it's late, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out, um, the. it's the synapse that's in the brain that can be repro- reprogrammed or rewired, mm. and uh, I think that it's... I think that the brain is something that we don't understand fully. Yeah. I think there's some people that know the tricks to make the brain think certain ways and to go certain directions. And I think that, uh, now, I mean, there could be those who are genetically apt to become, you know, either mentally, you know, Mm -hmm. dysfunctional or what have you. But I think that, uh, I really think that, uh, you know, serial killer, I don't think there's a genetic code for serial killer, nor is there Mm -hmm. a genetic code for, uh, you know, loser and uh, mm-hmm. lethargic. I think that um, we are the ones
1: mm-hmm. who uh,
3: construct monsters or conjure monsters mm-hmm. and build beasts. And it's because of the environment that we have and the environment we choose to continue to propagate yeah. and die guys yeah. yeah. somewhere else. And I think that, uh, you know, some people are affected by it more than others. And some people lash out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was once told this very important thing in that somebody told me, Clyde, what is a monster? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe somebody who's wicked or, does evil things, and was that, no, a monster is a person that quits pretending, and wow. I found that very profound, Wow! that uh, you're a monster when you stop pretending to be good, and when you stop pretending, I mean, you, you literally have a disgust mm-hmm. for humankind, you literally have a disgust for yeah, those around you, a
2: bitterness. and instead
3: of pretending to care, you just decide you don't want to care anymore, and, and that's when you realize that uh, you've become a monster.
2: And I agree with you. I think that the environment that we live in, it's a breeding ground for a lot of the the situations that the people uh, uh, you know end up you know being in, as far as their their mental health is concerned. Speaking of that, I also believe as part of the reason why people look to someone that can guide them or or help them through through life, if you will, and that's where a lot of you know cults come into play. And I was reading something really interesting. Let me know if it's if it's accurate, but. Apparently you were the focus of, of the FBI at one point for a comment you made on March twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Seems that it was a full moon that night and you said something oh, uh yeah. heaven's uh, uh, gate comment. Yeah, the, the this would be a yeah. great night uh, for a cult to commit suicide. For a cult to uh, commit suicide. Yeah. I was in Colorado at the time, and, and, you know, I was in my teens, and I remember uh, at night we could see the Hellbop comet, um, and it was, it was quite impressive, and obviously the, shortly thereafter the news came of, of this cult, and I remember the images on TV where I, they're engraved in my mind, who can't forget, you know, mm-hmm. these people in their bunk beds, you know, covered up with these black Nikes that, you know, it, it became, yeah. you know, like, a, a, like I said, it was, a, it was an image that was uh, etched in my mind, and, and it has been there ever since. And obviously, when I read this, it kind of took me back to that place. There really, you know, there was no way that you would know that something like that would happen. But what was that experience like, being singled out for that comment and, and, and being, you know, the the, the well, subject it, of it an it FBI investigation? Better,
3: it sounds greater than it is. I mean, mm-hmm. The FBI investigation consisted of a phone call and two visits uh, mm-hmm. uh, talking with, um, you know, the FBI. Only from the standpoint of, the, you know, I first made the comment— Mm -hmm. which was uh, accidental and coincidental. And second, Um, it was because of the fact that I had contact with a uh, singer Mm -hmm. uh, in a band called Dharma Combat. Mm -hmm. And the young man who was a singer joined the Evansgate Gate cult. was one of the members of the O.A. team. In fact, he was one of the counselors.
1: Oh, wow. And they
3: wanted to know what I knew of him. And I just said, well, you know, he'd written me several times because he seemed to be this conspiracy theorist. And he actually Mm -hmm. believed. Um, uh, like most people do, the alien landing would be a fake alien landing than the mm. real one, okay. which is interesting because of the reason why he decided he wanted to leave the planet was because, you know, it was, they were convincing all the people who followed the Heaven's Gate cult that, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, uh, some sort of companion behind the Hellbop Comet. And, and so my, my comment that night was innocuous, I thought, because I was outside before the show started and, mm-hmm. uh, and actually I looked in the sky and I saw, It was. I think it was, uh, I think that uh Hel-Bop was his closest to the Earth. And so I got mm-hmm. to see it in the sky, you know, wow. during uh, dusk. And it was wow. the night two where the moon uh, was uh, eclipsing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it had that red tinge to it, like the tetrad moons were just mm-hmm. experiencing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, to me, looked like, you know, the sky reminded me what the end of the world would look like. And mm-hmm. if, if, right. if the end of the world had a look, it would be, you know, the sun setting and all the colors in the sky, a comma coming down and maybe a red blood, red moon all at once.
1: Right, right. And
3: so I was on the air and I said, ooh, it's looking really spooky out there, everybody. I said, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like a good night that uh, people who are lunatics and crazies and even cults would commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow. I don't know what made me say it, but uh, I did. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was kind of like you know one of those things that uh, you know I just said a yeah. destructive cult. I didn't ever say, I say cult, but destructive cult. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then the Heaven's Gate cult committed suicide yeah. um, a couple of days after that. And uh, it was weird because that night I was talking about, I actually was talking about the uh, Phoenix Lights of
2: all Oh things. wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And uh, and so you know, here I was talking about the Phoenix flights, talking mm-hmm. about the moon, and talking about uh, Hale Bob, and right. uh, it was quite interesting uh, how that all came together. And uh, they were saying that it was that uh, there were a number of things that I was talking about on my show that they were wondering what would have triggered, you know, the possible. Mm-hmm. And they were they were citing my show, they were citing the Art Bell show, they were citing every show that was pushing this Courtney Brown theory of the uh, Hale Bob companion and. And mm-hmm. so that's why they investigated it because they just wanted to know if there were anything that was being said on these radio programs that would have triggered this type of response. And right. uh, I said, "Well, you know, you got me dead to rights. Yes, because we talk about these stuff, and mm-hmm. you have that. My, you have me talking about, you know, it'd be a great night for weirdos and cults mm-hmm. and whatever yeah. do to commit suicide because, you know, I, I the only thing I had was the um, the Jonestown, uh, you know, right? Uh, yeah, situation where they committed suicide yeah. or just yeah. crazy." Religious cult, and I thought, you know, yeah, okay, and and uh, and how, how was I to know there were 39 yeah. people taking their lives, you know, in, in uh, San Diego. Yeah. But I wasn't shocked by it, by any stretch of the imagination.
2: Mm-hmm. That particular incident was quite, I don't know, maybe because it was... Um I guess it was like my Jonestown in a way, right? Like you always remember the, the event. Like, you know, I remember the Berlin Wall and things like that. And actually another uh, amazing thing, you know, when Roger Waters uh, played the wall in Berlin shortly after. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think it's definitely those events that, that you are there to witness and experience that really mark us. And, and yeah, no, I like I said, the, the whole heaven gates thing. Um, to this day, you know, we have the Museum of Death over here in Hollywood and they have uh, some of the uh, – I don't, I don't know what you would call it. I think it's, the official term is something like murderabilia or something. Uh, but yeah, it's oh, okay. they have a, a little, yeah, they have a little uh, a section there where they kind of did a, a mock-up of what happened with some of the stuff that you know, I guess, belonged mm-hmm. to members of Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, because this is also, I mean, quite, quite fascinating. I, I Clyde, you you have led a very, very fascinating life, uh, no question. And um, I was reading that apparently you you, you had a, an encounter with uh, men in black. Is that correct? Yeah,
3: I've had several, actually. One really? was a more personal
2: mm-hmm.
3: one. Um, oh, there was, okay, well, they've all been personal. I guess you put it in that direction. Um, <laughs> the man in black that told me that I need to remove a photo off my web, by, at the time you know the internet was fairly young at the time uh-huh. um, because of course you know most people didn't have you know full-on websites until after around 1990 uh, like 495 yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah this was around 1996 and what had happened is I was offering just for fun a, a, this a guy that I knew named Scott Mahalik and he's still a guy that I associate with with my show now he's, he's a remarkable uh, manager uh, overseer controller. Got helper he's <laughs> a number of mm-hmm. things he's got all these hats and uh at the time uh he was an executive that i was working for and he said hey let's go with this idea to offer 10 million dollars for a ufo mm-hmm. a full-fledged landing in a in our parking lot and uh, we did it for a publicity stunt there's a background zero was like into you know pretty much uh, being uh, I, I was more of a i guess you could call me a I don't know what you could call me. I was, I was more looking at it from a, a, a skeptical, uh, smart-ass way of mm, doing you yeah. know this. And um, so I thought offering $10 million for a UFO would give me a lot of publicity. Mm-hmm. And what I got is I got a man showing up, showing me a picture of what he took, looked like an alien in the West Desert of Utah near where they do the uh, weapons testing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was an amazing picture, and I posted it on my website, and the news uh, did a story on it. And while I was there, there was a man who showed up who uh, said that he wanted to investigate uh, the threat of raping a. Uh, apparently, on our radio station, they said something to the that one of our talk show hosts uh, put out the. Uh, he, he encouraged a number of people to go out and rape the daughter of a. Oh, wow. Of a local official, uh-huh. and he said, oh, "I don't wow. think anybody on our station would do that." Right and they uh, said, well, uh, you know, what had happened is he talked to the program director, and he said, I need to speak to the production manager at the time. That was me, mm-hmm. and I was also a news guy, and a few other things. That was news, production, all kinds of things. You wore many hats back in those days when you were doing radio. Right, right. And uh, so I, I uh, said to the man, I said, I don't have anything on tape or anything where, you know, uh, the talk show host had said anything like this. In fact, I know everything that comes and goes on the studio. Mm-hmm. And he says, so you're Clyde Lewis, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, you do Ground Zero. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, um, "He said, you have a picture of the West Desert alien. And I said, yes, I do. And he says, you show it to me? And I put it up on my website and I go, mm-hmm. uh, are you with the government? And he says, I'm not at liberty to say. Oh, wow. I said, oh. I said, well, you look like a government type. uh You look like one of those, you know, mm-hmm. men in black. Mm-hmm. You know, I said to him, kind of, you know, Joe, half-jokingly, mm-hmm. he didn't laugh. Oh, wow. And, um. And so I said, well, "I'll show you this anyway," and I showed it to him. And and he said, and "I said, you have any knowledge of what this might be?" And he says, "I'm not a liberty to say." I says, "An alien?" He says, "I'm not a liberty to say." No, oh, wow. He said, "I said, what are you?" I said, "What are you?" at liberty to say? And he said, "I'm a liberty to say." You better take this down.
1: Oh, wow. I said,
3: "Why?" He, said, Cause you're, he says, "Because you're making an ass out of yourself." <laughs> I said, "What? You come here to tell me I'm making an ass out of myself because I have a picture of an alien on my site?" <laughs> he says, "He says it's not an alien." And I said, well, then what is it? And he says, I'm not a liberty to say this as well. I'll tell you what, until you can tell me mm-hmm. what it is, I'm leaving it up on my website. And he says, you better not. I said, I'm going to. Well, after, you know, I don't know how long it was, maybe a day or two went by, and all of a sudden the, the uh, mom-and-pop organization that had my website up at the time was like KDC, or the KDCOL.com or something of some mom-and-pop. It wasn't like some big group, you know, that has it now. or you know, But it's like, uh, Comcast or someplace to have your internet. There was mm-hmm. like these little mom and pop organizations that did the internet. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully wanted to make a lot of money. Well, they went in and they threatened to shut down, uh, this, uh, this place that was providing me with internet unless, oh, wow. I, unless they had the picture taken down. Mm-hmm. So they shut down my website and took the picture offline. And I said, well, I still have it. And then, uh, I, I uh, was really, I went on the air and I made this big, uh, You know, I did this big stand saying this is, you know, uh, infringing on my freedom of speech, how dare Mm -hmm. they, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few days after that, I remember getting in my car one morning to come in and do the news. And when I got in my car, I tried starting it, and it backed up just right as we were backing out of the carport in this apartment complex. Mm -hmm. It was a cold morning. I remember that Uh, as I pulled out and backed up, the car conked out. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, oh, it may be cold. i got to give it some more gas. So I gave it some more gas. I started it, and all of a sudden, it was like slow motion. Mm-hmm. I saw this big ball of flame and a flash come right at me, and it broke the glass. Oh. <clears throat> immediately, Immediately, the front part of my car was on fire, and uh, so um, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be like in the movies. Everything's going to explode, and I'm just right. dead. And so I hurried and got out of the car, and then... I thought to myself, "Oh my God, it'll burn the carport, so I better push it out." So I went to grab the steering wheel, mm-hmm. and the steering wheel melted. It was melting, oh, and wow. it, it kind of like it was in my hand, like falling apart. That's crazy. So I threw the car into into in uh, I threw it into um, neutral, and I went to back it out, and I put it on the middle of the parking lot. And there it was, burning in the parking lot. And it was really weird because it was burning. The horn was like honking. I don't know why it was honking, but it was honking. I think it was because it, it honks. You know, if any of the wires, yeah, can, you know, get burned or anything, so it was honking, kind of alarm. You, they caught the car's mm-hmm. on fire, and uh, what had happened is the, the fire department showed up and they uh, they looked it over and and the one guy said to me, he says, "Do you want to call the police on this?" I said, "Why?" So I started my car and it's caught on fire and it's no big deal. And he says, "No," he says, "They, they, they uh, whoever did it was a vandalism." And I go, "Well, wow. what do you mean?" And they said, "Well, we detect magnesium." Uh, we detected magnesium in the car. Oh, I said wow. magnesium, you like flash powder. I said, yeah. So they uh, said this is an old way of uh, blowing up a car, and I said, well, what's that? He says they cut the fuel injectors. So when you put the gas mm-hmm. on, gas shoots into the spark plugs, and then you turn on the car, mm-hmm. the spark plugs ignite the uh, the gas. Oh and my God! There's a dynamite pack or something that would that would be affected by the fire or explode. What they asked me is it what it was. It wasn't a bomb to kill me. It was a bomb to scare me, and so it was mm-hmm. like loaded with mm-hmm, pigs, magnesium. Wow! And so that's what happened. And I said, "Wow, that's amazing." And then a few days later, some guy shows up at my house with a videotape player, and he says, "I'm here to, you know, tape uh, you talking about what happened to you for insurance reasons." And I know the insurance lap on the car lap laps on the car, so I didn't know why he wanted to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And so. Uh, so, what had happened is that I sit there and I talked with him, and then uh, he took this little micro tape out of this, uh, out of this uh, camera. I'd never seen anything like it before, and he handed it to me. I go, What's this? He says, This is what you were saying. And I said, I thought this was for insurance purposes. And he says, Yeah, it is for insurance purposes. I go, What kind of insurance? And then he says, Ensuring that you'll never open your mouth again when we tell you to shut up about something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. God and uh he took off and i ran after him but i couldn't keep up with him he got in a van and drove off and never saw him again and uh it was then when i really got serious about what i was talking about and realized Mm -hmm. i couldn't be a smart hawk anymore and the thing was it wasn't an alien as far as i know i was told by a bunch of military people that it was uh they're actually testing an invisibility cloak or an invisibility type of uh Mm -hmm. uniform for Mm -hmm. soldiers and the thing is they that uh uh, it was one of the. They said that it was. They used water packs in order to reflect the surroundings around the soldier, so he wouldn't be seen. And and so, for some reason, the camera caught this like a mirage-looking image of what appeared to be an alien. But what it was is, it was a soldier with his army hat on and and uh, his his army helmet on and wow. these dark goggles and a microphone on his mouth. Wow. Something you can see now in a video game, but yeah. back then it was it was a new kind of. Uh, uniform they were testing and actually you know they they were worried it was going to violate national security if i showed it on the internet wow. so i waited about 10 or 15 years before i could show it again and i uh, put it on my website as a lesson to mm-hmm. anyone who you know just because they come after you tell you not to show anything or talk about it. it's not because it's an alien it could be something they don't want you to reveal yeah. to the public because it's, it's a matter of national security yeah. wow it's kind of weird
2: no that's that's incredible that's that's I mean, yeah, it's literally unbelievable that you know that that could happen. It just it blows my mind. It really does. Clyde, we're we're quickly running out of time, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on this CERN business. You know, the 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 big, the large, uh, Hedron, uh Collider. When I read articles on this. It sounds really scary, and we talk here on the show. And and you know, Genevieve tends to be the the, the sober half of this show. Um, <laughs> you know, she tells me that well, you know, it's 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 science, and you know, and the, and these are experiments. Um, there there's nothing nefarious about it. In my head, I can't help but think that maybe you know the U.S. has one of them in one of the you know these secret underground bases. For all we know, no, uh, we, we, be-
3: we We have we, we have several colliders. We have. Uh... We one in Lawrence Livermore. We have one in New York. Um, you know, we have, you know, mm-hmm. colliding, the, the colliding business has been around for a long time,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, but not one that big mm. and not one that has that much power yeah. right? Uh, and not one where they're claiming that they want to open up portals and not one where they're right. claiming they want to find the God particle. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not that it's nefarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing I don't want people to think is when I'm mentioning. This is not that it's nefarious. It's just that it's damn risky, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like um, you know, it's like when they wanted to set off the atomic bomb, they had no idea what would happen if they mm-hmm. set that bomb off. Yeah. They had no True. idea; they thought it would cause a thinking it would cause the entire you know atmosphere to explode, and then from there there'd be a chain reaction and wipe out the entire universe. Um, but it didn't happen, and thank heaven it didn't happen. Now we're still here. See the hadron collider at CERN. You know, there's the same scares about it that are mm-hmm. that are concerning and mm-hmm. and are fascinating and and so the idea is is that you know you know we we report it and you know there are a lot of coincidences and stuff. Yeah. But chances are, you know, science has it under control. At least we hope so. But there's no guarantees. Yeah. And so if anything goes wrong, you know, there's always a big oops involved or or I'm sorry, and it's sometimes I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. And so the fear is not that it's nefarious or they're using it against us. The fear mm-hmm. is, is that they're tampering once again with these powers yeah. that are just perhaps maybe too big for mankind to handle. And so they end up, you know, killing us all. They yeah. end up wiping out Europe where they end up, you know, you never know what's going to happen with that. And it's a lot of power for men, mankind to have. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's the worry. I don't think anyone out there who thinks that there's something nefarious going on, you know, they're, reading too much into it, but Mm uh you know, anything with that much power can be used for evil as well as good. Right Uh, it just depends on what your your idea of evil is. If you think that using a uh using a device like the the Hadron Collider as a means to open up portals and, you know, try to, you know, um, I guess find the gods or, Mm or or something. If you look at that as being evil then yes it is. If you look at uh, finding the God particles, to prove that the Big Bang existed and then perhaps God doesn't, mm-hmm. and you think that's evil, evil, then yes, it is nefarious and it's evil. But if you look at it from a scientific perspective, saying that this will give us new insight on how the Earth was formed, how the mm-hmm. universe was formed, if you see uh, time travel or opening up dimensions as something that we need to do and it's mm-hmm. something that is uh, important to explore new worlds, then no, it's not nefarious at all. Yeah. The only thing is, is my problem with it is, is that it's such a risky thing is it worth all of the trouble, is it worth all the power, and is it worth all the risk? Yeah. Apparently they think so, and apparently they are so maniacal about doing it that they don't weigh the consequences. They think that mm-hmm. what they're doing is going to be for the perfection of mankind. Mm-hmm. And even if it does create some problems down the road, it doesn't matter because they are right and we're wrong. And, right. and that's the frightening part.
2: No, it's true. It's true. So. Clyde? What can I say? This has been, you know, uh, uh, we've had it's been a roller coaster, you know, just uh, we got a chance to walk in your shoes for for about two hours. And let Mm -hmm. me tell you, you're you're a brave. You're a brave man. You're an honest man. And and I appreciate you taking the time, you know, to be with us tonight and and talk about all these things for the for the few people out there that maybe haven't tuned into your show. Why don't you let us know when and where people can catch uh, Ground Zero Radio?
3: Ground Zero Radio airs from 7 to 10 Pacific Time. We're on 200 stations across the country. You need to check your local listings, usually on an AM station that carries shows like George Norrie. We're usually on that station. Um, Um, We, let's see what else. uh, We're online at soundcloud.com slash ground zero, I think radio or media, one of the two. mm -hmm. And uh, you can also hear us by going into TuneIn or. or you can look at, uh, there's so many places, iTunes, iHeart, uh, so many places you can tune into the show, um, you know, talk radio networks, places where online or talk radio shows usually were found there. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're a three-hour show. Uh, some markets only get like an hour or two hours. Yeah. So So you want to get the full effect. You can listen online and get the full three-hour effect of the show, which I prefer because, yeah. uh, you know, I used to do five hours. Now mm-hmm. three hours, I have to cram a, a whole lot of show into one big bag, and mm-hmm. right. sometimes it's a challenge. But we manage to do it, and and it's really awesome. It's definitely I, I like doing what I do.
2: It's definitely a, a quality show. I highly recommend it. And you got Ron Patton over there helping you out. And like I say, he's a great guy, knowledgeable guy. So uh, nothing but good things to say about Ron. So I'm I'm really happy that he's out there. And check out groundzeromedia.org. dot org. Don't forget that on Twitter, it's at Clyde Lewis, and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash ground zero radio. Clyde, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You, yeah. And
0: I think um, oh. a lot of thanks on behalf of people in the chat. Um, there have been a lot of questions coming in. Um, we unfortunately didn't have a chance to ask them all, but I know oh, they appreciated okay. you being on the show.
2: You were definitely blowing well, minds
3: I'm tonight. glad they're out there. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for your questions. And, uh, you know, feel free to email me at uh, groundzeropdx at yahoo.com. I try to get as many letters as I can, get to them and answer them. Mm -hmm. not always easy, but I try to. So if you'd like to email me, groundzeropdx at yahoo.com, I'd love to hear from you.
2: Nice. You're the man, Clyde. Thank Thank you so so much for this. Thank you. And have a great rest of your night.
3: I will, and happy Dia de los Muertos. Yes, happy happy Dia de los (laughs) Muertos. Absolutely. I have some carnitas and some, oh. some mezcal. Oh,
2: that that's definitely cool. on my list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not before going to sleep and getting hungry again.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Kyle. Exactly. Thanks, good night. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Wow. That was – what more could you ask for in an interview, correct? Well, you know, people
0: every now and then, they're like, why didn't you talk much during this show or that yeah, show or yeah. – when i don't talk much it's it's because i'm listening right yeah. or just because i'm so overwhelmed with all the inform- information it's mm-hmm. when i don't say that much it's it's always yeah a good it's sign. rare
2: it's rare but <laughs> yeah tonight I, I i saw that and you know i respect that because yeah frank's
0: gonna have clyde on more often now <laughs> yep, yep. Clyde <laughs> be of here, uh, yeah. Clyde will be here
2: yeah three 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 sundays out of them every month um Kung Pao says uh that you know uh he or she i'm not sure if we got this but uh, you know they're uh ground list, ground it's zero. Definitely
0: kung Fu, by the way. Kung,
2: Fu, kung pao, I keep saying, it's, right? Yep. Somebody's I... hungry and wants to go to Panda Express. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Uh, no, like I said, uh, Clyde Lewis, great guy. Check out the uh, the radio show. He's you know amazing, and like I said, uh, they they tackle well, kung some was heavy. Was originally
0: a, a ground yeah, zero no, listener. No, well, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So that go.
0: that's how. <laughs> Every now and then we get yeah. discovered. No, that's great. yeah,
2: exactly. So yeah, and a big thanks to Clyde. Yeah, because we we were actually on his show a, a couple of, or a few weeks ago, I think. Now,
0: oh gosh, um, it was over almost a month, month. Oh, way over.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was. Uh, over. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it was, was over, over a month. Over. Wow, Definitely. yeah, it doesn't seem like it. We're
0: in November. Yeah, remember uh, that. <laughs> you
2: can check out that show. We were talking about Elisa Lamb that night, in, and and um, we
0: have. A big
2: article. There's coming a huge up. article we, coming up. I've been
0: working on this for about a month. All yeah, right this
2: guys? is. I mean, I it's look. I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a very thorough, thorough article. And uh, and I think Genevieve is onto something here. Uh, I I believe, and you know, I'm not saying that because you're sitting next to me, but I believe that you know it it it'll definitely it should be and will be become the the reference point for a lot of people that maybe you know. There's so much information floating around yeah, and about yeah, this particular case, cool. and and what you know you're trying to do is just kind of put collades everything it. together, just, just curate you know. it, yeah. collate it. And, and put it out there uh, for people to, to check out. So be on the lookout for that. If you miss any part of this interview, go to WTRradio.com in the next day or two. You're going to find it there, uh, along with some other cool stuff. We have some kamikaze stuff. We had some really interesting interviews that happened there.
0: super cool pictures coming up tomorrow in an article about oh, the yeah. Paris catacombs.
2: Yes, because it's Dia de los Muertos.
0: So what... Better way to celebrate than yeah. showing pictures of dead people.
2: Yeah, about what, like six million? I think remains. It's,
0: yeah, six yeah. million. It was an experience. Miles. It was an experience
2: being down miles. there, and uh, and yeah. So be on the lookout for that as well. So a lot of cool stuff coming up. Wtrradio.com. Subscribe to the to the to the podcast. It's there on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, TuneIn, and a bunch of other stuff. Um,
0: and just for clarification, it's Mister Kongpu.
2: Oh, Mister Poo. I apologize. Uh, accept my humble apologies. <laughs> uh, that being said, we're gonna go out with a song that, man, I love this song. Talking about the Paris catacombs. This, if you watch the video to this, and this is an early video, um, it has some great images of, of, of the Arc de Triomphe and other sites of Paris back Notice? in the '60s and yeah. the '70s, like Before around it that was era. was built
0: up. You can see the pictures. Yeah, There's no, no high rises. It's yet.
2: beautiful. It's 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 nostalgic, and this song takes me back. I don't know why I don't know it takes me back I don't even know where but yeah. it takes me back right it's so weird <laughs> it
0: takes you back to somewhere you weren't even at
2: yeah so uh, but I love it and uh, and uh, I think it's a good song to sign off with and send our friends to, uh, to bed if that's where they're going that's you know it depends. get some rest depends. Yeah, it depends.
0: if you're catching us on iTunes it may be any time of day but Enjoy the rest okay. of the day either way.
2: <laughs> either way. So here's the Moody Blues, Knights and White Satin. Take care. Be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. Genevieve, thank you for being here. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM
1: Los Angeles.